My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. I do. <laughs> You're going to do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch with me, Ashley, the Raspy Dispatcher. I'm super excited for today's episode, but I also want to take some time to just give you an update on the podcast. We're down, we're getting to over 200 plus streams a week. That means over 800 downloads a month of folks listening to the podcast through some type of audio podcast streaming service, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on the website from the Raspy Dispatcher. And I think it's it's amazing how many people are starting to really tap in, listen to all the great stories from the folks who come onto the show, as well as folks who are sharing the podcast with other people and getting them to listen to the show and ultimately become a guest on the show. So thank you all so much for all the love and support. For every subscribe, every share, every listen, it it truly is appreciated and honestly does go towards the fact that the world needs more dispatchers and the world needs to know that we need more dispatchers. So with that being said, I'm going to bring on my guest today who is currently a training manager with Carbine and has over eight and a half years of experience as a 911 dispatcher, two of those years being a supervisor. My guest today, Drew Clark. Hello. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Oh my gosh. Thanks for being so willing to come on and embrace me. I'm sure not all the folks know out there, but Drew and I just recently did a panel at Nina, my first panel ever. Same. Um, (laughs) Same. (laughs) First and foremost, for anyone who actually saw this panel, I think Drew is lying. I do not believe them. (laughs) I do not believe it was their first panel. I call BS because flawless. I was sitting next to a legend, everybody. (laughs) Not even. I told Andrea who moderated it, I was like, I do a lot of trainings on my own, but I've never been in a panel. Yeah. And so I was like, you need to walk me through like how this goes. Like, when do I talk? When do I not talk? Like, what's the framework here? It's so true. And it really was, I feel like, you know, you, um, Andrea and Dom, you guys are all working together now. Um, But for me, like, I feel like I knew Dom and Andrea individually, right? Through my podcast, uh, through connecting with them. And then I got to meet you through that connection and I feel like we just all very seamless seamlessly were able to come together and talk about this topic and really you know provide some good thinking points for folks who who did attend absolutely yeah our spirits are just connected (laughs) (laughs) I agree with that 100% and I know before we got on here I was saying that I'm very excited for this conversation because I get to I get to know you now, like out yes. your experience. I get to really hear your story because I'm going to make you tell everybody about it. So <laughs> how did you get into public safety and what was that experience like for you? Oh, my gosh. I got in by accident. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people don't know, but I went to school for neuroscience. Wow. Yeah. So I graduated from Hopkins with the psychological brain sciences degree. And I actually wanted to be a coroner. 
Okay. So I wanted to be like the last stop on the public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up at the very beginning, right? Yeah. Totally wild. But I, I decided in college, I was like, orgo is just not for me. Physics mm-hmm. wasn't for me. The hard sciences. I was, I gravitated more to the behavioral sciences and like mm-hmm. people and why people do certain things and behaviors and things like that. So after college, I really hit like a crisis moment. And I was like, okay, I have this degree. I don't know what to do with it. I need mm-hmm. a job. Like, <laughs> Ain't that, I think there are plenty of people listening going, mm-hmm. Me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. And so I fell into that classic, you know, when you ask people why 911 and they're like, well, I want to help people. That definitely was me, though. I was mm-hmm. like, I was used to doing research and it was so mm-hmm. slow and you don't mm-hmm. necessarily see like the results of your work mm-hmm. immediately. And yeah. so I was like, I want to do something where I go home and I know I made an impact with people, mm-hmm. you know. And so I reached out to the one person that I always go to in crisis, my mom. <laughs> And she was living in Fairfax County at the time. I was in Baltimore and she was mm-hmm. like, They're, Baltimore is hiring for 911 dispatchers and so is Fairfax. I think you should apply to Fairfax because that's where I am. Yeah, the mom? <laughs> Trying to get me mom, back home. Get you back here. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now, home cooked meals. <laughs> now, actually, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Okay. So... After college, I go to Fairfax. Mom leaves like, <laughs> to New York. So I never, gotcha. Yeah, exactly. She pulled a, a whoopie do on me. <laughs> so I never heard back from Baltimore's 911, and I heard back from Fairfax immediately. Mm. And you know how the process goes polygraph, mm. background, critical, mm. uh, personality test, <laughs> like <laughs> fingerprinting. It was You're like, like, does this degree mean anything? And they're like, yeah, put that back in. We don't even look at they're like we want your kidney next (laughs) (laughs) so true walk out of there wounded like what did they take from me yeah exactly but with each step I fell more and more in love with it and Mm. by the time I got out of the academy I was like this is for me you know Mm. this is definitely for me and what was that academy experience like for you I feel like everybody has a different experience they're either like thrown into the deep end or it's a gradual uh, like classic classroom setting. What was that experience like for you? So mine was the classroom setting, which I'm super grateful for. Mm-hmm. We had three months of classroom academy training. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They really do a great job kind of training us gradually. And then once we get out of the academy, it's three months of on-the-job training. Mm-hmm. So lots of training before you actually get cut loose as an independent call taker. Wow. And so, yeah, so we all started as call takers and then mm-hmm. we could get an extra skill a year and a half after probation for police or fire. I went to fire and then I went to police and then I went to a whole bunch of other areas <laughs> in the agency. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I, I feel like a lot of times, right, agencies are like, we need bodies, you know, we need to get them in these seats quickly. And And we can rush through that training portion with staffing in the forefront of our minds. But it really is so crucial to have a really good foundational training experience. And hearing that you got to do it for three months in the classroom setting. I mean, I thought my little eight weeks was like a long stint. Like, that's that's amazing. And if more departments can really spend that time with their new dispatchers, especially like from nothing, you know, entry level dispatchers, it's going to go so much farther in them being successful and wanting to stay in this career. 
I think so too, absolutely. And I think, you know, for Fairfax County, we were kind of spoiled in that it's a larger agency, a lot mm -hmm. of resources. Mm -hmm. And so we, we had the manpower to kind of do a separate academy where I know a lot of agencies don't. You've got mm -hmm. three people working and <laughs> you're going to learn on the job, right? Like, Mm -hmm. So I was I was definitely blessed in that regard. And one of the things I loved about the training academy is you really get a great cultural experience from the mm -hmm. people that you start with. Mm -hmm. Like you bond mm -hmm. with those people. It was about eight of us that went in. I think six of us left. Two people, one person got a new job and the other person didn't make it. Mm -hmm. um, and so the six of us were just like, constant contact with each other for the next three years until mm -hmm. we were all independent and on different shifts and everything. Yeah. And you know, it's so true that like your academy mates, there is no one else in the world, even as you continue in your career and you meet other dispatchers who experience that part with you. Like it's just a different type of trauma bond that you have with these folks. Because, but actually, yeah. 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 I still have a group chat with my academy mates. Like, yeah, we're not even at the same agency anymore. You know, wow. so it's it's just that foundational experience of having trying to stay employed every week. You know, like it's <laughs> it is something that keeps you together. <laughs> it's a fight, a fight for survival, right? It really is. Hunger Games, twenty twenty three, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, and to speak of Hunger Games, it felt it was a it was a shell shock mm -hmm. when I left the academy and I went to on the job training mm -hmm. because the culture was just completely different on the mm -hmm. ops floor versus in the academy setting. Mm -hmm. I felt like we were nurtured in the academy. It was very hands on assist. You can ask questions. There was a lot of safety built in to learning. Mm -hmm. And then when you went out onto the floor, a lot of those safety aspects did not translate very well. And mm. some of them just weren't there at all. Yeah. It's like, I was afraid to make mistakes. I was afraid to ask questions. I was told like not to ask questions <laughs> until, wow. you know, after a certain point, people didn't yeah. want to learn my name until after my probation. No. Yeah. So the, the culture on the floor was just like, a whole 180 from the academy setting and it got better yeah. um, because I got involved with the training environment. <laughs> a lot of people, I think that's that a catalyst, right? For yeah. A lot of us that do training mm -hmm. is like, if we had a bad training experience, we want to be the people to make sure that the people behind us don't. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that was my goal, becoming a CTO, becoming a training academy instructor. It was like, I want to be part of the cultural shift where mm -hmm. the new hires coming in know that they have an advocate when they leave that academy setting and they get on the floor. Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show. Now, I feel like this is something that's pretty commonplace in dispatch, right? And for you to be someone who went through that experience and 
were able to change it in your calm center environment, what kind of feedback could you give to someone who's maybe listening right now and feeling that negative, like no one wants to know my name. Everyone just thinks, you know, I'm going to be out of here in a week, that kind of negative feeling that they're getting from the folks who are, you know, off probation. Um, What kind of feedback could you give them to help them navigate that process because i feel like a lot of times you don't want to advocate for ourselves as the Mm -hmm. new people on the floor right so how can we empower folks to even when they're new make that positive change in their comm centers the first thing i i would say is stay connected to the mission Mm -hmm. you know i think sometimes we get so caught up in what do others think of me you know how can i fit in When you're new, stay connected to that mission, stay connected to your why you join the agency and that Mm -hmm. will take you pretty far. Now, also go back to the people that you went through the academy with, stay connected to them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those are your advocates when you don't have a voice, they'll speak Mm -hmm. up for you. Mm -hmm. Your training instructors in the academy that you felt safe with, I would go back to them and say, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm struggling in this area. This is what they're teaching me. I'm not quite sure this is how this is supposed to feel. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to challenge their instruction, but the way that this feels doesn't mm-hmm. feel right. And so I think you have certain, I call them gatekeepers in the organization, certain mm-hmm. people you can go to to say, hey, I'm familiar with you. You know me. This is what I'm struggling with. How can you help me get to that next level or the place where I feel comfortable? Mm-hmm. Very, very, very true. Do you remember any of your first calls for service or like any early calls where you were just like getting your feet wet and seeing what this whole experience was about? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, the Academy, they train you for the worse, right? Oh, yeah. Like you're you're training for you're training for the plane down, the trains (laughs) crashing, the shooting, the stabbing, the drowning. Right. So I had been familiar with my on the job trainer because she came into the Academy and introduced herself a few times. And Mm. I was super excited. She actually has my same last name. So they used to call us siblings. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Lenora. (laughs) Mom Mom knew you were figuring something out. And she was like, I got to go. They're going to find out about they're this. on to me. Gotta they're be on out of the state, you know? <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. But my first day on the job, I took a shooting, I took a stabbing, and I took a drowning. Wow. And like so, a trifecta. Sheesh. Yeah. And so <sighs> my trainer was like, you need to go home. <laughs> <laughs> And rethink your career. Like, and oh, I, yeah. I think she was more stressed out than I was because, like, she's like, this doesn't happen. This is not a day-to-day oh sort of gosh. thing. And when I came back the next day, she was like, I can't believe you're still here. Like, you showed up. <laughs> and I was like, is, it this not, is this not normal? Like, this is what I signed up for. She's like, mm-hmm. Drew, that's not normal. That's... <laughs> and I think that's probably why I was, like, so good with emergency calls and medical mm-hmm. calls. Because from day one, I was hammered with it. No. But the non-emergency, Ashley, I sucked. <laughs> I sucked at non Because I'm like, I never knew people call in about the craziest Like, things. why are we on the phone right now? Right. 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 I don't know how many canaries you can have in your garage. Like, is this a thing? gosh. (laughs) Stop. No, you did not get a canary call. I haven't got a canary call yet. 20 canaries in their garage, and they want to know if they're compliant. 
I don't God. even know. Yeah, Animal Control like, was still like, don't know. <laughs> still don't know. Yeah, they were like, <laughs> you, I guess. Were like, yeah, you could have 40, actually. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that'll never come back. It's fine. <laughs> right. And so I would look at my trainer and she'd be like, use your resources. I'm like, oh. <sighs> you know. But yeah. you know what? I think there there is something to say for showing back up, right? Because it is, and I think once you're in it and you experience like all of these horrible things, especially multiple in a day, multiple across the city, you know, um, you realize just how like how bad it can be out mm-hmm. there or how bad it is out there. And the ability to just continue to show up every day like it does say something especially as a trainee right yeah yeah I agree it's resilience it's like you know what and I was thankful I had a trainer that was like unplug you know Mm -hmm. like she was looking out for my mental health she's like this isn't normal I know this is what you signed up for but take a moment go home I'll work on your DORs like reset you know yeah and so I was grateful that she taught me I could walk away, I could take mm-hmm. a breath, I could take a break, and then come back, you know? And it wasn't mm-hmm. just, okay, keep going, keep going until the shift ends. And I think that is so important, especially so early in your career, right? And I think, you know, eight and a half years, you know, when you decided to go into the private sector, but it's it, at that point, this person for you, already had that language, already had that understanding, already had that intention. And I think for a lot of agencies, they're still trying to find that footing in not just having the peer support team to check the box, but to actually be really intentional and supportive of the things that peer support teams and folks who are saying like mental health matters in 911 are saying. And that means you do have to unplug, you do have to step away people do have to get forced in to allow those things to happen. And I think sometimes it's hard for people to realize the impact that happens after you actually let people take care of themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. We have to be intentional with how we use peer support. Mm -hmm. And so we had peer support at my agency. And what I found was we just kind of relied on people to utilize peer support. Mm -hmm. Like, they're there if you need them. Yeah. And it's like, no, we're dispatchers. That's not how, yeah. we, we don't do self, like, self-motivating mm. <laughs> activity. Really? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. And so when I became a supervisor, that was one of my things. When I saw a high-priority call, instead mm. of me as the supervisor going over to the person, I would message peer support and say, hey, can you check on this person? They just took this kind of call because I want them to realize like peer support is actively there for them and not just like a passive resource that they could use if they feel like it. Like, no, they have to be part of this cycle Mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think anyone really you can't predict how you're going to react to a call. Right. Like and in the moment it could feel fine. And then a week later, it's still eating at you. And then all of a sudden you're feeling like, well, it's been a week. Like everyone else has moved on. We've already had 12 other high priority things come in. Like, why should I bother bringing this thing up? You know, even though it is bothering me type of thing. Right. Yeah. But if, but if they're, 
because you, and you know, peer support's not going to be aware of every single high priority call, especially if you're working at an agency that has a lot of them. So having a supervisor or having someone, you know, activate them, I, mm-hmm. I would imagine that went a long way for your people that you were supervising. Absolutely. And, you know, when you're in a supervisory role, it's not about you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I never told peer support, tell them, I told you to come check on that. No, Mm -hmm. I don't want, I don't want them to thank me. I don't want any of that. Um, And even if you're, because I did quality assurance for two years too. Mm -hmm. And in my QA role, I was listening to every high priority call that agency took every month. And it was like 250 calls a month I'm listening Mm -hmm. to. And mm-hmm. so I knew what people were going through. Mm-hmm. And so taking a break from, did they check this box? Did they check that box? And just saying, hey, I, wanna, I want you to come in and sit down with me. Are you okay? Yeah. Like, I realized you took this call. I don't know if you talked to anyone about it. How do you feel about it? And just having that caring conversation with them outside of performance metrics and, you know, what they should have done at, at wow. a certain point in the call. Just how are you? Yeah. And I think that goes a long way to change people's perception about QA too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and especially like that relationship with, you know, the brass or your supervisor, because yeah, my supervisor is calling me on my day off. They're probably forcing me in or something like, you know, the supervisor has a tough job and I like to acknowledge that. And I, you know, I tell my supervisor all the time, like, I know you're calling, you don't want to call me, you know, like that's not, doesn't make you happy to pull me in on my day off or like whatever it is. But if they're asking me to come into the office, if I already know there's a relationship that isn't just surrounded by my performance critiquing or having to analyze something I could have done better or something I messed up on, et cetera, that relationship's going to be better when we do have those conversations, because I'm going to be willing to it won't feel phony, right? It won't yep. feel like, oh, they're just asking me to say they asked me. It's going to feel more genuine, more intentional. And I'm going to be more willing to come to them for any reason, right? Absolutely. So I think those conversations do go such a long way. Yes. And that's what I teach people in my feedback class is mm-hmm. you have to reach out to your people on blue sky days. Mm. when the sky's not falling, when they haven't done something wrong, (laughs) develop that relationship with them so that when the rain comes, you have Mm -hmm. enough equity in the relationship to say, hey, this is where we went wrong. Versus I don't talk to you ever. And now I'm showing up telling you how you should have done things. Right? Like, who are you? (laughs) Like, Drew, you don't know me. (laughs) I'm out here saving lives. You don't even, you didn't even listen to my call. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) That's how it feels. Like we automatically get defensive, you know? And it's like, we're going to make mistakes. Like we're humans doing a saving humans. Like we are going to make mistakes, but I want my supervisory staff, I want to be feel empowered by them. Yeah. Like, yes, we did this and we need to improve this, but like, how can we continually support you? Right? Yeah, exactly. That's servant leadership. Exactly. So I mentioned earlier, you and I just did a panel on authenticity in the workplace. Yes. Let's talk about how important that is to be our authentic selves and our comm centers and kind of touch a little bit on what we talked about at our panel. Yes. Oh my gosh. So I think we've already hit on some of the things um, 
a prerequisite to authenticity because we always tell people just be yourself, right? Yeah. Just yeah. be yourself. Like, don't, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, okay, that's easier said than done, but mm-hmm. also it's not on the, it's, it's not on the person to just be themselves. It's on you to provide the environment where they can be themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we have to start is we have to start building inclusive environments where people feel psychologically safe to show up in their authenticity. Mm-hmm. So when you tell people they can't make mistakes, when you tell people they can't speak up or challenge certain things, when you don't have a culture in your center of belonging where people feel like, you know, okay, yeah, I'm young, but I belong. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. old, but I belong. Mm-hmm. You know, if they don't feel like that, then there's not going to be any authenticity. Mm-hmm. That's the prerequisite. It has to be inclusion first. And so then once you're inclusive, that's when the magic starts to happen and people come Mm -hmm. out of their shell, people start to be who they are. And then you add more perspective to the workplace, you add more diversity and that, that translates into better workplace outcomes, Mm -hmm. better performance over the phone, better response times, better dispatching, better teamwork when people feel like they can operate from a place of their essence. Mm -hmm. It is so true because I think we've all been in an environment where you're like, "Mm," this person walks in the room and they kind of suck the air out of the place. Right. And it's just like the room was so different before this individual walked in. And I think it's easy for us to automatically shut down and just like this, the way this person is, I can't control that. I can't do anything to change this environment. But I also think it's our responsibility to continue to pour good into the room, even when someone might not be doing the same thing. And I know that's a little hard sometimes for folks when they're getting that pushback, but I always try to bring good energy into the room, even when maybe the person I'm working with isn't bringing the best energy and making it a little hard for me to be my authentic self in the workplace. I think if I can at least pour myself in to the, to the level that I'm comfortable with the environment that's already created there, maybe mm-hmm. we can kind of chip away and, and allow more people to be authentic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember when my assistant director, she pulled me aside one day and she was like, Drew, how come you come in here so happy all the time? and immediately I was just like because I choose to Mm. (laughs) right it's not like genetic it's I'm making a conscious choice to Mm. show up Mm -hmm. in this way because that's what our people need Mm -hmm. and I think that more of us need to understand that you have a choice in how you show up Mm. Mm -hmm. and so if you don't like the toxic culture if you don't like the energy change the energy and Mm -hmm. if it's hard find someone else right? Mm-hmm. Find the other light instead of the misery because misery does love company. Mm, ain't that the truth? Okay. And they never bring enough food. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where's the cupcakes? Okay. <laughs> right? So, so find your buddies in the agency that, that have that energy. And you know what, Ashley, this is an aside, but it just rubs me the wrong way. When mm-hmm. we get people who are happy-go-lucky in the comm center and we try to dampen that. Mm. Yeah. We, we say things like, 
oh, you're like that now, but wait two years. You're going to be miserable just like the rest of us. Like, yeah. no, don't do that. Yeah. We need those energetic, happy people that keep the energy up. We need mm-hmm. to nurture that in them yes. instead of making them feel like it's something that doesn't belong. Exactly. And I think when you said, like, I choose to, I think that the simplicity of that statement can really, like, rock people, like, like, is it really that it's, it's really not deep, right? Like, it's really, I just choose to show up, to have this energy, to do a podcast on my free days, to talk about this. Like, I'm just choosing <laughs> to have this energy about this line of work. And it's just simply a choice. It's not magic. It's not something that you need to, you know, read books to, to figure out the secret formula or anything that it really is just as simple as making a decision to be positive, acknowledging you're not always going to be the most positive person in the world and your days might be a little less bright than others, but it is always a conscious choice mm-hmm. how, we, how we present in a room and our energy. Um, yeah. And it, it's wherever you are in your, your mm-hmm. public safety journey right now, practice on the level that you're at because I was practicing this when I was a call taker. Mm-hmm. When I became a supervisor, I had 40 people looking at me every single day, <laughs> right? And so they're waiting for that moment that I don't show up, mm-hmm. you know, full. And they're mm-hmm. going to be like, what is wrong? What, yeah. like, is, it, is management coming down on you? Like, what, <laughs> is, this, is the sky falling today? Like, was should it, we be worried? It, is it me? Are you, are we talking later? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, you tell me, right? <laughs> right. And I think of it like like riding an airplane and then the flight attendants are like scared or angry, right? Everyone's yeah. going to be like, what's going on? Is everything okay? <laughs> <laughs> Should we be here right now? <laughs> right. <laughs> Should I get off before we take yeah, a Yeah, right? <laughs> so you have to check your energy because people mm. are going to be watching you. Someone's always watching you, but mm. especially when you get into a position where, you know, you're out front in front of people, you really have to check yourself. Very, very true. Very, very true. So let's talk a little bit about inclusive leadership. I know this is something mm. that you like talking about. So what what is inclusive leadership? Yes, it's bringing people in, right? It's listening for the voices that you're not always hearing. Mm. And I think it was, I don't know who it was that said this. It might have been Samantha Hawkins or, or someone made a post about introverts. Mm. And they said, you know, stop asking introverts their opinion in a room full of people. Mm. And that that resonated with me, not because I'm an introvert, obviously, I'm very <laughs> extroverted. <right? laughs> I'm very extroverted. But when I became a supervisor, I remember trying to solicit other people's voices. Mm. And there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Okay. And we need to open up the channels of communication. So maybe someone doesn't like using their voice to tell their opinion. Maybe Mm -hmm. they're more of a pen and paper type of person. Maybe, you know, maybe they want to be pulled aside privately in Mm -hmm. a private setting. And so inclusive leadership is all about getting to know your people and getting to know their voices, Mm -hmm. how they like their voice to be heard, 
you know, what, what they prefer and don't prefer when it comes to communication, and then fostering and sort of bridging those voices together. Mm -hmm. And I think that that goes into the buy-in too, from your people who you're leading, right? Is mm -hmm. like, if Drew took the time to know that I would rather send an email and have written correspondence about something than being asked in front of their group, like that's going to go a long way in that individual's buy-in to the department, to the leadership, et cetera. And it gives people the room to, you know, like say it with their chest rather than like wanting to feel heard and not being able to express themselves. Exactly. So right. And that's mm -hmm. demoralizing for a lot of people mm -hmm. when they haven't quite developed the voice in the way that we're listening for it. Mm -hmm. And now you're asking them to do that in front of everyone. Mm -hmm. If you haven't coached that person up to that point, you shouldn't have that expectation from them. Mm -hmm. So I know even for me as an extrovert, there were many rooms I was afraid to speak in. Mm-hmm. And I had to have people that coached me on how to use my voice and what to say and sort of how to share my thoughts. And so if you're an inclusive leader, your job is to coach, mm. coach those mm. voices and help people feel comfortable sharing their opinion in the way that they want to share their opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think we know that as trainers, right? Yeah. It's, all, it's like, oh, no, you don't you don't train every trainee the same there's a lot of different paths to the same end result. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same, same approach we have to take as leaders. We have to create those different paths that people can take to the same end result. Yeah. And I think especially in like this type of line of work, I think those folks in leadership and those who have been doing it a long time and, you know, dispatchers, we don't like change can really get caught in the idea of we've been doing it for this long or, you know, like that's been X, Y, Z for 40 years, it's going to continue to be X, Y, Z. And if you are in leadership, whether you've been there for 20 years in that role or just taking on that role, your job in leadership is to be change, is to constantly be changing, be looking out for the change yes. that's coming down the, the pipe and being the first person to implement that change in your department, you know, like it is your job as a leader, as a supervisor, not to manage, but to coach. I yes. totally agree with that. Yes. And I think we need to do a better job as leaders, wherever we are in our journey, is sitting with people that are not like us. Mm. I, I think sometimes when we reach a certain level, you know, I see supervisors become supervisors and they no longer talk to call takers. Mm. or they become managers and they don't talk to supervisors anymore and they only mm. talk to people on their level all the mm. time. And when you do that, you're losing perspective. Mm -hmm. I learned so much from the younger generations. Mm -hmm. And instead of ragging on them, sitting with them and being like, teach me how you do that. Mm -hmm. Or show me why you do it the way you do, you do it that way. Mm-hmm. But instead, what I see is, well, back in my day, or you guys are so privileged, <laughs> you guys are so spoiled because we have- well, not my fault way. the internet's here now. I don't know. <laughs> we have cell phones now. What do you want? Not my fault. <laughs> okay. Right. So difference is an opportunity, whether it's generational difference, mm -hmm. you know, 
cultural background differences, leadership differences on, on different levels, sit with your people mm-hmm. and learn. Leaders yeah. should be learners first. Yeah. I remember coming out of academy and like showing my trainer, like the way they taught us to do something on the computer through academy and them instantly being like, oh no, we're, we don't do it that way. And it's like, I just, I just, I just came from the academy. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually the stand. Now you do it the old way. That's cool. You're the trainer. I'm not changing that. But like technically we're supposed to do it this way. Right. That's a huge problem. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a huge problem because either the policy needs to change or the mm-hmm. practice needs to change because mm-hmm. they need to align. Yeah. And it's, it's super confusing, right? To folks who are just getting through all this training. They're like, yeah, I got this. And they're like, Oh no, I don't. Yeah. And then sometimes you have those CAD hackers. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's not supposed to work this way, but I know how to work I mean, around it. So asked it you, I didn't show you this, but like <laughs> when you get off probation, maybe you can. Right, you know. right. <laughs> hot, hot mess, I tell mm-hmm. you. Well, as we as we wrap it up, Drew, uh, the question I ask everybody is, what advice would you give someone considering a career in dispatch? there's so many things I can tell someone. (laughs) The first thing I would say, which is very different, is volunteer somewhere. Mm. I think volunteering in the community gets you connected to that community and Mm. their needs and the type of people that you're going to be serving. Mm. Um, Listen. This is a recorded line, Drew. Okay. Fair, Fairfax County is a different breed of people. Okay. It's, it's just it's a very different. And so when you get out into whether it's like the city fairs or you know, whatever is going on in the county, get to know, especially if you're not from the area, get to know what's happening in that county because then you're gonna pick up the landmarks quicker when people call mm-hmm. in and they say, Hey, I'm at you know Chewy's, but I don't know the address, and you're like the Chewies next to, you know, the the ice cream store, or are you at the Chewies next to, you know, the pho yeah. restaurant? And so just just getting out into the community, knowing where the hangout spots are, volunteering so you get into a service-minded um, lifestyle, mm. I think that goes a long way. Mm. A lot of people who enter our profession do come from or do have a family background where their family is a police officer or a firefighter. And so they kind of know the language and the lingo. But when you don't come from that background, all of it's like new. Mm. You're like, what did mm-hmm. they say? What do they need? <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't have a dispatch ear. You're mm-hmm. not really sure why they're asking you for certain things. Mm-hmm. So I would say as a as a community person, before you even get into 911, get a ride along, visit your stations. Mm-hmm. Get to know them and and kind of when you do that, it becomes a little bit easier, just a little bit. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Drew, thank you so much for being willing to jump on with me, being on my first panel (laughs) and totally embracing me from the moment we virtually met on an email thread. (laughs) I (laughs) I really appreciate everything you're about and all that you do. Listen, I appreciate you so much. I don't know um, 
if our listeners know, but I was doing a pride blog. Mm. And when you talk about like community and inclusion, I was terrified to write that blog. Mm. And mm. I reached out to you. I had just heard amazing things about you. Mm. I hadn't met you in person and you really came through. You stood next to me. And so that, that speaks volumes to what this 911 community is all about. Yeah. Is just standing up for each other and creating space for each other and belonging and inclusion. And as afraid as I was to write that blog, I think I reached out to six individuals. All six of you said, yeah, Drew. <laughs> All of you. So, yes. you know, shout out to you, Ashley, my friend, Michael Miller, my friend, Wyatt, my friend, Gabe Stonebreak, Bonebreak, um, my friend, Charlie, who couldn't be in the blog because he missed the deadline date, but he said yes. <laughs> yeah, hey, that counts. I don't... That counts. That counts. <laughs> and my good friend, Juliet Brown. Um, who's with 91 Wonder Woman, and she mm-hmm. and I are actually going to be doing another discussion on July 27th, I believe. Awesome. Yeah, so if you're interested in a discussion around LGBTQ issues and visibility, mm-hmm. check out 91 Wonder Woman, um, their Facebook group, all the details will be there, or hit up me or Juliet or Valerie Minor, Tony Sexton mm-hmm. will be there, so it's a good group. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. Drew, thank you so much, and I'll be right back with you. All right. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Another episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch. Again, Drew, you are amazing. Thank you for bringing all of your light into the world and letting me be someone who gets to experience it. If you have not subscribed to Let's Talk Dispatch, what are you doing? Do that ASAP. ASAP. Like, share, tell a friend, and of course, until next time, stay raspy, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Let's Talk Dispatch, a Raspy Dispatcher production. If you like the podcast, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave a five-star review, and of course, tell a friend. If you want to be a guest, head to theraspydispatcher.com and check out our additional resources. Until next time, stay raspy, everybody.